Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you can, please open your Bible to Acts chapter 1 as John concludes his message, What if we were all witnesses? If God's in you, it's going to be obvious to others and that, that there's been some kind of a change in your life. I was thinking last night about the blind man in John chapter 9, a man born blind. Jesus told him to go to the pool of Bethesda and wash, wash his eyes, and he would be able to see. And that man went, or the pool of Siloam, and that man went, and he washed his eyes, and he could see. And after he could see, the religious leaders were interrogating him and questioning him because the religious leaders hated Jesus. And they said to that man, who is this man who healed you? And the blind man, now who can see, he said, I don't know that man's name. I'm not sure who he is. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You see, to be a witness, you don't have to be able to explain all of Ezekiel's visions. <laughs> you don't have to be able to explain the minor prophets or the major prophets or some of the theology that Paul developed. Or No, to be a witness, you just have to say, you know, I don't understand all that. I don't get all that. I don't know who, I don't know all the, the kings and all that. But one thing I do know, once I was lost and now I am found. Once I was unsaved, now I'm saved. My life has been changed. I was blind and now I see. I don't, I don't know everything, but I do know that something has happened on the inside of me. And I'm afraid that the reason some of us are not more effective witnesses than we are is because our lives have not really been changed. And if our lives have not been changed, we're not going to have a compassion or a passion to go tell other people how their lives have been changed. Or some people, I think the reason some people, and I understand this, are not effective witnesses is because they really don't know for sure that they're saved. They don't have that assurance. And so it, 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 it hampers their, the effectiveness of their witness. I mean, what, what is a person like that going to say? Hey, come follow me. I have no idea where I'm going. Well, no, we need to have an idea where we're going. We need to know that there's been a change on the inside of our lives. Listen to this, an internal change that leads to an external change. The old song we sing when we were kids, if you're happy and you know it, then your face should surely show it. Well, that's true, but you can take it one step farther than that. If Jesus has changed your life, not only should your face show it, everything about your life should show it. That there's something different. Again, we're works in progress, but there's been a change. I don't know about you this morning, but when I woke up this morning, I was getting ready. I have an alarm clock in the other room that makes me get up and get out of my bed and turn it off when it comes up. Because if not, I just lay there and hit snooze, 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 snooze. I just make myself get up. And one of the songs that they were playing on the radio today was one of my favorite hymns, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And before they even got to that song, they were playing some other song, and I was still in bed, and I was listening to those songs. I was trying to get awake and orient myself to the day. And I, just, I, just, I was just in bed this morning, and I said, God, I just thank you today. 
on a Sunday morning. There are a lot of things I could be doing, a lot of places I could be going. I thank you today that by your grace, I'm going to the First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and that you have given me the opportunity to preach the gospel. I'd rather be here today than at the beach or at the ball game or the movie or even at home. I'd rather be here doing this than anything in the whole world. I'm just thanking God. Thank you for the opportunity. God, we just live the most blessed life, and I thank you for this privilege, and I'm just kind of in that spirit this morning. A few minutes later, I finally got up. I thought, I can't just sit here and, and thank God all day. I got to get to work, you know. And, and, and then the song changed on the radio. And they started singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And when that song was playing, this was just in my heart this morning. I said, God, as glad as I am to be preaching today, there's something I'm more glad. I, I am more glad today that I have blessed assurance in my heart than I am that I'm preaching this morning. I'd rather not be preaching and have blessed assurance than to be preaching and not have blessed assurance. <laughs> but to have blessed assurance and still be preaching, I say, God, it can't get any better than this. And I'm saying to you today, if you're saved today, you may not have heard that song on the radio, but there ought to be something in your heart that says, thank God I'm saved and I know that I'm saved. Thank God my sins are forgiven. Thank God heaven is my home. Thank God I don't have to worry about dying. Thank God I know for sure that Jesus Christ is living on the inside of my heart. See, it's that internal change that produces an external change. Now, I had a friend who emailed me something this week. I didn't know this. What I'm about to read you, I didn't know. But there's a man named E. Stanley Jones who lived from 1884 to 1973. He lived a long life. He lived almost 100 years. He was considered the Billy Graham of India, E. Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist missionary and he was a teacher in India for decades, and God used him greatly there in the first half of the 20th century. And Reverend Jones said when he first went to India, he wanted everybody there to get saved. And so his approach was he was trying to prove to everybody that God is real, that Jesus is real, that the Bible is trustworthy. And he said as he looks back on his first years of ministry in India, he was kind of like an attorney for God. And he was trying to prove that all of this is real. But here's what he said. It's one of his greatest quotes. As God's lawyer, I was a dead failure. As God's witness, I was a success. The Christian minister, and this would be true for all Christians, is to be not God's lawyer to argue well for God, but he is to be God's witness to tell what grace has done for an unworthy life. I'm glad Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses instead of saying, you shall be my lawyers. You know, some Christians think they're not only God's lawyers, they think they're God's prosecuting attorneys. And they go tell everybody how rotten they are and how they need to get it right, you know. You need to be like me, and you need to get all that sin out of your life. Well, that's not going to lead anybody to Christ because that, all that does is drives people away. You go as God's prosecuting attorney and tell everybody how bad they are. That's, you're not building a bridge, but if you go to people and say, you know what? God's changed my life. Jesus forgave my sins. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. I still stumble and, and trip up and mess. Well, now that people can relate to that. I I'm reading a book about John Wesley right now, the great founder of the Methodist Church. And uh, Wesley 
was very much affiliated with Oxford University in London and taught there. And what happened in Oxford in the 1700s is very much what's happening in American universities today. It's just there was this drift away from God and the Bible and, and, and everything that's holy. And they're just questioning, you know, just no authority. And, and it just was a, it was, a way, it was a drift away from God. And so Wesley prepared a sermon where he was going to go to speak, I guess, at a chapel service at Oxford. And he was just going to tell Oxford how horrible they were all doing to get away from God. And he had written out this scathing sermon. Well, as the time got closer for him to preach that sermon, something on the inside said, and it was the Holy Spirit, if you get up there and preach like this, everything you're saying is true or has truth in it, but you're not, you're not going to accomplish the end result that you want to accomplish. All you're going to do is just make, you're going to just drive them further away. And he said it was like God spoke to him and said, John, instead of telling everybody at Oxford how rotten they are, get up there and tell them what God has done for your life, what a spiritual failure you were before you met Christ, how you still struggle today, and that will, if you're trying to produce change, now if you're trying to make a point and just say, well, I'm just bold and courageous and I just told everybody off, well, some people do it that way, but if you say my goal really is to invoke change, be more real, be more vulnerable. And he did that, and it was a much more effective approach. And that's what E. Stanley Jones learned. He said, when I was trying to argue for God and prove, now I'm not saying there's not a place for apologetics and rationalization. I get all that. Defending the faith, I understand there are times when we need to do that. But I'll say this. I've been preaching for over 35 years. I can't think of one time where I ever argued anybody into the kingdom of God. I can, I, maybe I did back there. So I don't remember it. But I can think of a lot of times when I just shared with others what God had done for my life and how God's still working on me, and, and they got saved because there's something about that that is real. There's a change. A witness knows that his life has been changed. I'm fixing to develop this, but let me ask you here. Has your life been changed? Have you had an inner change in your life that produces an outward change? So that other people, when they see you, they won't be saved by seeing that you're different, but the fact that you're different is it's attractive. It, it, it draws them to you. And it's, it makes them say to themselves, I want what he has. I want what she has. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my professors was a man named Calvin Miller. He's with the Lord now. He was a free-spirited man, a godly man. And back at that time in my life, I was still struggling over the assurance of my own salvation. And he would come in class, and he was just so free and happy and light. It was like he was just walking on clouds. And I just used to think to myself, I want what he has. I want to have that kind of peace. I want to be that, that loose in my spirit, and, and I am now, thank God. But I'm, there was something about that that just drew me to him. Now, we're thinking about an inner change. Now, I want to give you four phrases today, and I don't have time to develop these too much, but the, these four phrases describe the inner change that takes place in a life of a person when Jesus comes to live on the inside, what is a Christian? At the end of the day, a Christian is somebody who has Jesus living in his or her heart. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. Four phrases. Phrase number one, peace like a river. That's one of the things that we should experience if we are saved. We should have peace like a river. Now, that peace may not be constant. It can be. It should be. 
but sometimes things disrupt our peace. But we should be able to look at the whole of our life and say, you know what? I do. I have peace like a river. Peace with God. Peace with myself. I'm just, I'm at peace when I think about death, when I think about eternity. I think about heaven. I think about hell. I don't worry about hell. I know I'm going to heaven. I know my sins are forgiven. I just have peace like a river. You should be able to say today, if you're saved, you should be able to say, you know what? I have peace like a river. Peace, just like a running mighty river that overcomes all the obstacles that we face in life. Phrase number two, a desire not to sin. One of the ways I know I'm saved is not that I don't sin because I sometimes do sin. But one of the ways I know I'm truly saved is there is within my heart a desire not to sin. I, desi- I don't want to sin. And that desire has not produced a perfect life, certainly, but it has produced a better life than, it would, than I would be living if I didn't even care. So you should have that in your heart, a desire not to sin. Phrase number three, joy in spite of circumstances. Now that joy is kind of like that peace. It might not be constant. There are things that can ruffle our joy or even temporarily take away our joy. It doesn't have to be that way, but it, it just happens sometimes. But as we look at the whole of our lives, we should be able to say, you know what? I do. I, I may not always be happy and like how everything goes in life, but on the deep down, I do have a joy in my life. And it, even when things are not going well, I have a joy in spite of my circumstances. And that is a beautiful thing and a powerful thing to have. And then the fourth phrase, in the last phrase today, a confidence that God is in control. Confidence. That God is in control. Now, now, now think about just those four phrases. If you have, talking about, we're talking about how can I be an effective witness for Jesus Christ? Say, well, I've got to memorize the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or steps to peace with God. Well, you need to know how to share the gospel. But that's not the beginning place. The beginning place is to say, you know what, I've got to learn how to say this better, more concisely. I need to work on that. But if you can say today, you know what, I may not know all that, but I know this. I've got peace like a river. I have a desire not to sin, even though sometimes I do, I have a desire. I have joy in my life, even when things are not going well, even in, even in spite of, of circumstances that are not always to my advantage, I do have a joy. And I'll tell you what else, I have a confidence in my life that whatever happens, God is in control. Friend, I'm going to tell you that if you've got that in your heart, you're going to be walking on clouds. You'll be walking on air. Think, man, if you've got all that, and then people will look at you, and they'll say, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. And it's attractive. And they're going to say, I want what he has. I want what she has. Now, you still listen? Say amen. amen. This thing here, a confidence that God is in control. I was reminded last week how important it is to have this. On Wednesday night, for those of you who come to the Wednesday night service, it's our smallest service of the week by far. But it's a good service, and I would encourage you, if you're looking for something to do or you want a Bible study on Wednesday night, we're right here in this room with about 250 people, so it's not, not a huge crowd at all. But it's a good Bible study and a good worship time, and I'd encourage you to be with, it, be with us on that. Well, we're doing a little series right now on Gideon. And last week at the end of the sermon, I said, I want to share an experience that I had recently, and I did, and I'll give you the short of it right now. I said, normally when I pray, I pray inside. That's just where I do my praying. But recently, I said, I want to go out on my back porch and pray. It had gotten down to about 112 degrees, and so I felt like... (laughs) 
And I just had it on my heart to go outside and pray. And here was my prayer. I said, God, I'm asking you to bring me to a place in my life where, and I'm not, I'm not there yet, where I never worry, where I'm never afraid, where I never get anxious, where nothing ever ruffles me, and God just somehow bring me to a place where I can fly above it all. And as soon as I said fly above it all, a plane, I live fairly close to Ellington, and I'm in the flight path to Hobby, and a southwest plane just flew over my backyard. And when that plane, I said, now, thank you, God, for sending that plane, because that's what I was trying to describe. I want to be like that plane. I want to just fly above it all. Well, while I was praying that, another plane went by. And I thought, God, I want to doubly be above it all, just like both of those planes. And my mind thought of Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, where it says, Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And that, those two English words, perfect peace, in the Hebrew, shalom, shalom, double shalom. Shalom means peace, well-being, all that I was describing. And Isaiah said, God, you're going to keep the person who trusts in you not only in shalom, but double shalom, perfect peace. And those two planes, to me, represented that, just represented. And I said, God, that's how I want to be, perfect peace, double shalom. The next day after I prayed that prayer, I was inside this time, and I was looking at my window, and I said, God, that prayer time last night meant something to me because I want to live my life like that way. I just want to fly above it all. And as soon as I was saying this, two, a plane flew over and another plane flew over. I don't, take those pl- I don't take that as a sign or anything. I just take those planes as a visualization of what was in my heart. And I said, God, that's how I want to be. I want to just be able to fly above it all. And later on that night, my dad called. He said, John, he said, the sermon was okay, but that story at the end was really good. He said, because now, for the rest of our lives, everybody who was there, every time we see an airplane, we're going to be reminded that if we will just trust God, we can fly above it all. I thought, man, that's, that's so true. That's what I want to do. That was Wednesday night. Thursday, I got home, and house seemed a little bit warm, so I went and looked at the temperature, and it was 79 degrees. Well, if I'm not home, I keep my temperature on 76. Well, it was 79. I thought, well, something's not right here. But it, it was not miserable, but I just I'm kind of doing some work, and I, I went back in there, and it, now it's 80. I said, well, we're going in the wrong direction here. Well, I just got a new air conditioning six weeks ago, so I felt like that I was not getting my money's worth out of this. <laughs> so I called the company, and I told them. They said, well, have somebody there between 7.30 and 8. They said, we really think something's gone wrong. I said, I really think that has too. I think something's gone <laughs> They came over. They said, you've got a Freon leak. We're going to load you up with Freon. You'll be fine for the night. Tomorrow morning, we'll come out here and replace that valve, and you'll be fine. I said, they're outside working on that. I'm in the den. This is about 8 o'clock on Thursday night. I started hearing some, no- some noise from my guest's bathroom. Well, when you live alone and you hear noise anywhere, it's not a good thing. <laughs> and so I walked in the guest bathroom, and my sink had filled up with water, and it was like a waterfall just all over my guest bathroom. I said, well, this day is going from bad to worse right here. This is not a good thing. And so 
I did everything. I rebuked the water. I asked God to steal the water. Nothing happened. I got a mop. I got some towels. I started drawing up the water. The guys were outside working on my unit, putting that free up. They came in there. They got a vacuum that's designed for that. They sucked out all that water, and all this is going on. And, and all, all the time this is happening. And finally, we got it dried up that night about 10 o'clock. A plumber came over there, ran a snake down the line. That unit had been running so hard because it couldn't cool the house that that drain line had just backed up, and the water just coming all out, and, and it was just a mess. But the whole time I was doing that, it's like God said, you remember, John, last night you told the people, if you just trust me, you can fly above it all. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, but that's a lot easier to preach to others than it is to live. <laughs> I'd rather tell other people to trust God than for me to have to do it myself while my house is flooding over. But I'll tell you this, that night, I remembered that Ill double shalom, perfect, and I thought this, you know what? I can either get stressed out, worried, uptight, angry, mad, whatever, or I can just say, God, I believe you're in control. I thank you that I was home. My whole house would have flooded. As it turned out, I've got tile in there. It didn't, make it, it didn't mount to hill of beans. I got it all dried up, and everything's just fine now. But what I'm saying is, in life, if we have these qualities, this interchange, peace like a river, a desire not to sin, even though we sometimes do, we don't want to sin, joy in spite of circumstances, and confidence that no matter what is happening, God is in control. What are we going to do? We're going to just fly above it all, and other people are going to look at our lives and say, it's not a he's not perfect, she's not perfect, but she has something, he has something that I want. And if I could have what they have, maybe my life would be better. And th what I'm saying today is, that is the first step to being an effective witness. Now, before we end today, let me ask you a question. Peace like a river, a desire not to sin, joy in spite of circumstances, and a confidence that no matter what happens, God is in control. Do you have that? And if not, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to draw the net today. And I want to say to you, you can have that. Your life can be changed if you'll ask God to forgive you of your sins, if you'll ask God to help you to turn and go in a different direction so you won't keep doing the same thing over and over. That's repentance. If you'll invite Jesus to come into your heart and if you'll trust him to save you, I'm asking you today, I'm putting you on the spot and I'm asking you today, will you make a decision right now to receive Jesus Christ in a personal way? Now, many here today have already done that. And so your prayer ought to be something along the lines of, God, I know I'm saved. But I'm kind of like John described. Sometimes I lose my peace. Sometimes I lose my joy. Sometimes when the, when the sink floods over, I, I, I forget that you're in control. God, help me to trust you so that my life can be like an airplane. No matter what happens, I just fly above it all. But others today, you need to be saved. You need to receive Christ. For some today, you say, I just am not sure whether I've ever done that or not. You need to get that settled right now. Now is the time, and today is the day. You say, John, help me get it settled. I'm going to help you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. 
And the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not the words of the prayer that save you. It's your heart. It's God knows that you're trusting Christ. But we still need to call. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We still need to ask. If you've never done it or you're not sure, I'll make it real simple and short. Here's the prayer today. Pray this to God. Say, dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come inside of my life. Live in my heart. Make me a real Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. Change me from the inside out. In your name I pray. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and will rejoice with you in your decision. Please send us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or give us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.